The Fuzzy Mike presents This Week in Sports. Welcome back to another week of This Week in Sports. The NFL Super Wild Card Weekend has passed, but not without some memorable performances, both good and not so good. And that's where we'll start with the not so good. How many times have we seen it before with America's team? Don Landry is six yards away from his sixth Super Bowl. And of course, for the upstart 49ers, they're six yards away from Pontiac. Third and three. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. It's a madhouse at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. Oh, and don't forget about this time. Meanwhile, here's Gramatica. Romo holds. 19-yard field goal attempt. Oh, it is fumbled by Romo, and then Romo's going to run to the end zone, and he's going to get tackled by Jordan Babineau. Amazing. So we're accustomed to watching the Cowboys throw away playoff opportunities. But this time, well, this time it was different. Their final play against the 49ers was inept on so many levels. It made Romo's playoff fumble look like a design play. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you've just got to be sick to your stomach. Because this time, really, they had their best look at a Super Bowl run in years. Experienced and athletic skill players, a defense that was ranked 7th in the league, Dak Prescott having an astonishing year coming off his broken ankle. All of that to end the year like this. Prescott takes off running the football. Whoa, I don't think this is going to work out. It will. They'll be able to clock this. They were playing for it. It's Four. down, down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the official gets in the way. The game's oh over. Gosh. The game is over. Oh, he did. Oh, they're going to look at this. It's, it's going to be over because the umpire has to touch the ball. Of course, that's ridiculous for a game to end like that, Jim. Wow, I am livid if I'm a Cowboy fan and if I'm a Niner fan. That's the fan. end of the game. The yeah. game is over. The game is over, and San Francisco survives and advances. Now, you've got to love a person who's willing to double down even in the face of insurmountable derision because Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy is sticking with his call of the disastrous final play that saw the clock run out on the Cowboys' season. It's like anything else. Do you, do you want to be running the Hail Mary play from the 50-yard line, or do you want to be running five verticals from the 25-yard line? So that's the decision. It's the right decision. Um, you know, it's just like anything. It's, you know, the, the execution between us and the officiating spot in the ball obviously wasn't in tune, wasn't, you know. Listen, unless you're Shaq Griffin, it's hard to play football without both hands. It's even harder to play football when both hands are haplessly wrapped around your own throat. This was a choke job, plain and simple. Down by 10 after quarter one. Down by nine at half. Down by 16 after three quarters. And this was a home game. I'm telling you, Jerry Jones was seething. His body temperature so elevated, his Botox melted. And he just had a fresh injection that morning because he knew he was going to be on TV. In other football news, it seems there was some confusion in Jacksonville, Florida on Sunday morning. Jaguars linebacker Laurenti McRae was arrested 
following a high-speed pursuit after police attempted to pull him over. Uh, That's the pursuit sound in the background. Uh, The chase and what happened during, it's not debatable, it's all on camera. When an officer tried to initiate a traffic stop, the driver used, quote, an expletive hand gesture using their middle finger. Seems pretty cut and dry. However, as recent court cases have shown, video is always up for interpretation. And here's where I see a little legal wiggle room. Now, I don't know if you've been following the Jags the past two seasons, but I'm pretty sure Laurenti was just letting the officer know what pick they have in the draft for the second consecutive year. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select... More playoff football, and sadly, more proof that we live in a country of pansies. Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians was fined $50,000 for slapping the helmet of his own player during the Bucs win over the Philadelphia Eagles in an NFC wildcard game. Bruce Arians comes in. He's pretty excited. He takes a whack at Adams. <laughs> the slap happened in the third quarter when the Eagles punt returner muffed the punt, causing a loose ball. A loose ball is like a fumble. Every player pounces on it, and a scrum ensues. In this case, Bucks safety Andrew Adams, who was outside of the pile, started pulling Eagles players off the mound of bodies. That's when Arians came in and slapped Adams' helmet. Bruce Arians comes in. He's pretty excited. He takes a whack at Adams. <laughs> Arians cleared up after the game why he slapped his player's helmet, telling the media that he was trying to stop Adams from getting a penalty because pulling players from the other team is a penalty. Are we really in a day and age when a professional football coach is scrutinized over gently slapping his own player on the helmet, who, by the way, is an adult, so that he doesn't get penalized and hurt the team? In my high school, 34 years ago, when a coach wanted your attention, they'd grab your face mask, twist their wrist, and yell at you until you understood their point. Yes, between the lines, that's a 15-yard personal foul. On the sidelines, though, it was called coaching, and we respected it, but we didn't like it, so we remembered what we did or didn't do in some cases and tried harder not to do it again. Finally, ever since I've been doing This Week in Sports, I've received quite a few comments from you who also remember listening to me on the radio. Seems the general vibe is that I'm a lot freer in this format saying things that I would never have said on a commercial radio. Not profanity. I still try to maintain that level of professionalism. But yes, it's absolutely true that I'm more opinionated, perhaps a bit more crass, and I cover topics we wouldn't have touched on our radio show. And now we're going to cover something that you never would have heard me talking about on commercial radio. Well, check that. I would have talked about it, but in a much different manner than I will here. I may lose some of you after this, and while certainly not my intention, (laughs) Lord knows with only a mid-double-digit-sized audience, I need all of you that I can keep. I know this next subject isn't for everyone, and I especially know that my comments about this subject will certainly shake some to your core. There are a few things in life that I would classify myself an expert in. I'm actually hard-pressed to come up with even one thing outside of what we're going to talk about, where I would be considered a genius. But when it comes to this topic, 
I am an unequivocal authority. Suicide. Here's why we're talking about this. We have some new information tonight about the death of a woman and her young son who fell about six stories at Petco Park. Investigators are calling the death of 40-year-old Raquel Wilkins a suicide. Now, before I dissect this and completely drop the curtain on myself, let me assure you, this is not a cry for help. This is an outlook based on experience in years of mental health appointments. Suicide is as real of a subject as it gets with me. My father committed suicide in 2005. He hanged himself with an extension cord. But my way of coping with that was, and still is, through dark humor. After he did it, I knew immediately that I was getting my mom a new extension cord for Christmas to replace the one Dad had stretched. Which, if you really think about it, that joke was on me, because Dad's makeshift noose actually lengthened the cord, causing it to extend even further than it previously did. Good job, Dad. There's something my past radio audience never heard. I don't find sadness in the act of suicide. Well, then you're an idiot, Klein. Hold on. I find it a tragedy. A tragedy that someone feels so depressed and hopeless that they think the only way to alleviate their pain and sadness is to kill themselves. I first started noticing that I wasn't right in my early teens. It wasn't until 1995 that I was given my first mental health diagnosis. I was bipolar. I've been on psychiatric medicine for half of my life. I take Effexor, Lamictal, and Lithium for my depression, Trazodone for my sleep disorder, and Clonazepam for my anxiety. The pills together are really pretty. There's pink, blue, white, orange, and a multicolored capsule. When I see all these little psychosis skittles in my hand, I feel sorry. For people who are colorblind, wow, are these a pretty cocktail. On top of that, I've always wanted to distribute them to myself from a Pez dispenser. This particular Pez dispenser doesn't exist. I would want to use a Kurt Cobain Pez dispenser. It would have a button on the side of the canister. You press it, the head blows off, and out pop your pills. Then you retrieve the head pieces, put them back together, load the pills, reinstall the head, and you're ready for the next dose. Since the day I turned 15 until today, I'm now 52. That's a span of 13,205 days, according to the How Many Days app. Had I had to count all those days? Oh, jeez. I'd have slipped my wrist so many times. But anyway, of those 13,205 total days, I'm going to conservatively estimate that I've thought about my own suicide 11,800 days. That's a nearly 9 to 1 ratio. During my last psychiatric visit, oh, and now might be a good time to explain the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. A psychiatrist diagnoses and prescribed medicine. A psychologist listens to your life story to find the root of the issue and offers coping mechanisms. With my particular psychologist, in these past five weeks are the first time in my life that I've seen a psychologist, she is a trauma expert. Dr. Deborah is trying to find the root trauma of my issues, and with light electrical stimulation in my hands, we are actually reprogramming my brain. It's really fascinating. 
even more fascinating? I think it's working. For the past 10 months, I have really been struggling. I'm seeing my psychiatrist more frequently now. It used to be every 16 weeks. Now, it's every three weeks. Yes, as I've gotten worse, my diagnosis has changed. And this might very well stun you. I have dropped the bipolar, simply because I no longer have manic episodes. The depression and self-loathing is still there. It's actually so high Michael Jordan couldn't even dunk over it. But where I used to have manic episodes, the other part of bipolar, that's now been supplanted by anxiety. If you've never had a panic attack, best way I can describe it is a tank parked on your chest and you're fighting for air, but you can't seem to get enough. Thus the panic. I've started referring to mine as panzer attacks, thinking that if I gave it a different name, it might not last as long. Trouble I ran into with panzer attack is when I saw how that reference made some of the Jewish members of my family shudder, so back to panic it is. But now I've got a completely new diagnosis, and it's actually one that makes perfect sense. I am now a card-carrying member of the Chronic Suicidality Club. By the way, if you're an employer considering hiring me, um, yeah, I know. But thanks for the consideration anyway. So, what is chronic suicidality? In layman's terms, I think about my own suicide all the time. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Uh, hold on to your jaw, because it's about to shatter when it hits the floor. It's actually a good thing that I'm chronically suicidal. For many of us who regularly have suicidal thoughts, we don't view the thoughts as a problem. In fact, I've considered suicide for so long, it just feels normal to me now. Here's even more good news, according to my psychiatrist. People with chronic suicidality have a far less percentage of actually committing suicide than those who don't think about it all the time. Suicide is an impulsive decision. Whether you get so sad, angry, hopeless, that you just can't take it anymore, you decide to end it. It's an abrupt conclusion. But when you think about your own self-demise constantly, well, that really does abate the impulsive nature. The best way I've heard the chronic suicidal mind explained is by comedian Frank King. This is taken from his enlightening TED Talk. And see, people don't understand. Let's say my car breaks down. I have three choices. Get a fix, get a new one, or I could just kill myself. I know, doesn't that sound absurd? But that thought actually pops into my head. I can get a fix, I can buy a new one, I can just kill myself. The point is, mental health is difficult to talk about for many people. So if you know someone who could benefit from this, by all means, share it with them. And if you know someone battling a mental illness, try to talk to them. But good luck. When we're having a flare-up, talking to someone is the last thing we want to do. That takes energy. And when we're severely depressed, all of our energy is focused on just existing. If at all possible, get yourself or them to a professional. If you have a sprained ankle or a broken bone, you go to a doctor. Think of mental illness as a sprained or broken 
brain. It's even more complicated than that, though. So why wouldn't a doctor call be in order? If my viewpoints, outlook, and coping strategy on this turns you off to me and the fuzzy mic, well, I'm reaching for the gun now. No, not actually. Besides, I'm such a piss-poor shot, I'd miss anyway. I remember after about five years of seeing my Houston psychiatrist, Dr. Atikazaki, who incidentally called me, quote, the happiest depressed person she'd ever treated. Why the hell did I go to her then? I asked her if the statistics of 20% of Americans at that time on some kind of mental illness drug was accurate. Her quote to me, yeah, but about 80% need to be. Now, back to the woman at Petco Park, where the San Diego Padres play. Her death happened on September 25th, the same day the underachieving Padres were eliminated from the playoffs. That probably had nothing at all to do with her fall. But you know, there are some fans who get so worked up over their team and not doing well, that it does make you wonder. Which is why I've really got to hand it to Jacksonville Jaguars fans. They must be the most chronically suicidal fans in the world. The worst record in the NFL the past two years, and I've not heard of one person leaping off the concourse at TIAA Bank Field. Good on you, Jacksonville. Hang in there. It's bound to turn around sometime. This has been the Week in Sports. 